0: What's going on, everybody? It's Matt here, and you are listening to another episode of Composer Code. Today's episode is with Nathan Madsen. Now, Nathan has been uh, someone I've known and run in the same circles with for quite some time. He's got a real gift for mentoring other composers. He's been around the block. He's done the freelance thing. He's done the in-house thing. And He's a family man. He's just got a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience to share, and he's just got a real heart for helping other people succeed in the game audio space. So I sat down with him and he added a lot of value. Uh, talked a little bit about the pros and cons of in-house work versus freelance and um, a bunch of stuff. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Nathan Madsen.
1: I was a school teacher and um- I had no experience working in in games whatsoever. I didn't know know anyone in games. And so I just, um, what happened was I started reading some books about producing audio and how to have a business and and create business plans, that sort of thing. And so I I started teaching and not to disparage teachers or, or education at all, but for me, I just quickly learned this is not the job for me. Um, I didn't want to spend the next 30, 40 years doing that job. And so I reached out to a couple different composers that I found through some books and research. And this was back in 2005. And so then I reached out to Aaron Marks uh, on your Mark Productions. And he was freaking amazing and super kind and generous with his time. And he listened to some of my music and said, hey, you know, I'll give you a quote that you can use as like a PR type thing for your website. I was thrilled about that. And so I um, got to know him a little bit. And what's really neat about that experience is that's before I got any clients before I set up any websites or demo reels or anything. So I just got to kind of know him through Facebook and a couple of things. And then when I landed my first job, I let him know about it. And I said, you know, your book really helped me do this. And so at that point, he was about to come up with the second edition of, um, of his book. And so he said, I'll feature you in this book and I'll, I'll interview you. And so um, that was hugely inspirational and humbling to me. And, and so I, the way I got into it was I built a very tiny demo reel, about 12 cues, only about 20 to 30 seconds each, different styles, different instrumentation. And I just started shopping around and I got very lucky to land a Nintendo DS project from a local indie developer where where I was living at the time. And then I did, of course, a couple of the MMOs that didn't end up going anywhere, (laughs) the wow killers that just kind of die after a little while. Um, so yeah, I just, I just started reaching out to people saying, Hey, I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate about video games. Let's see if we can start to make something together it was very organic and very slow, but, um, it, it started to take off after a while. So that's, that's how I got into it. Um,
0: how long did it take before you started getting some bites on your demo reel when you were shopping it around?
1: Sure. Um, that was the part like, like getting, getting the, the DS project, I would say it was about three months in getting the first MMO project, which was a pretty large scale thing. Um, that was about six months in. So before that, I I did some really small one-off things. Cause this is 2005. So this is pre iPhone. So there weren't app stores. It's not like it is today. And so a lot of the really small projects that you're working on would be things like flash based games, little puzzle things, that sort of deal. And so I did land a few of those. Again, the price point was really small and the scope of work I was doing was very tiny like maybe like five sounds and maybe one looping background track. And that was it. The, uh, the one thing about starting off for me was I was a full-time teacher at the same time. So that really eased up some of the stress to where I wasn't depending on anything I was doing with video game audio to pay any bills. And mm-hmm. so that allowed me to just kind of slowly, methodically just build things up. And what's funny is like, I used to have this different approach where I thought, okay, once I have a game that ships, that has my name on it, that has my audio in it, I would feel like I've made it. And I had that happen, and I didn't feel anywhere close to making it. So then I thought, well, maybe it's going to be like five or ten titles. I got to those points, and and I never felt like I made it. And even today, I, I do feel like I've established some things, and I've been around the block a few times, but by no means do I consider myself like a made a composer. I'm just kind of learning the drill as I go. And so that would be one bit of advice to people that are starting out is give yourself some grace, try and set up a situation where you can pay your bills with something else. Cause the last thing you want is to have your creative output also be tied to the stress of paying your bills or buying your food. That type of thing. That can be really, really hard. Um, Later on, as you start to build up thicker skin, you start to feel like you know your work process better, you know yourself better as a creative artist, and then you can do that. So, um, but yeah, I, I long story made a little bit shorter. I got pretty lucky in laying a few projects. Um, I mentioned the MMO project, it didn't go anywhere. That one just kind of vaporware, vaporware after a while. But the Nintendo DS project. It did get finished. Um, It actually did not get published, but I got paid for it and it ran and it was totally done, that type of deal. So um, yeah, it took a little bit of time.
0: I imagine in 2005, there probably wasn't the same influx of composers that are constantly emailing developers, shopping their demo reel and stuff like that. But it's still at the same time encouraging for me to hear that you were able to land these gigs by simply shopping your demo reel, which I think is really cool and and underrated, the whole cold calling aspect of it. Obviously, you want to build relationships as well. What do you think you did, whether in the way you presented yourself or your music that set you apart from other composers and prompted those developers
1: to hire you? That's a great question. I think one of the things that I did right off the bat that helped me out was I had, like I said, about 12 different short segments that were very different styles from each other. I had a couple of jazz, a couple of orchestral, perky, cute, kind of like casual bass type stuff, different tempos, different keys, um, obviously different styles and moods. So I tried to show range right from the get go. And I think the other thing that helped me at the very beginning was the website was super simple. It was just an HTML um, pre-made website I got from my hosting company. And so I had a picture of myself, a very short bio, and then just right there was like my demo reel. So there's no thrills, no shrills. It was literally just like, here I am, here's my music. Um, I think that benefited me because one thing I do when I critique resumes or or actually demo reels from people – is I look for, okay, well, what are they showing? Are they showing one flavor all the way through? Are they showing multiple flavors, showing some range, that type of deal? Um, I definitely don't think that you have to be a show everything. Like, for example, you're not going to find dubstep on my demo reel. <laughs> you're not going to find lots of hip-hop type stuff on my demo reel because um, that's just not my wheelhouse. But at the same time, you will find varying just styles and genres. So... I think that helped. I think also just having it be very accessible. And then I really think just showing an eagerness and the desire to want to support the product. You know, um, I was so excited for me. Making money was not the, the goal when I started out. Um, obviously now I have two kids. I'm quite a bit older. I have a mortgage. I have to make money to <laughs> support all that. That is a goal, but like the very beginning, since it wasn't tied to me being able to pay my bills, I was just excited and passionate about, I just want to see if I can even do this type of thing. Um, I think that carried through in the way that I communicate with my clients. Um, The other thing I did that my wife always teases me about is I'm always checking my email. I'm always checking my messages. And so I've had clients respond saying, your response time is killer. And so um, I think that's something, if you show a lot of attention, you pay a lot of attention to your clients, they're going to notice that versus someone that kind of ghosts them for a while and, and that type of deal.
0: So. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned critiquing resumes. I know that you're a moderator on a popular forum and you've been uh, a moderator for several years now. And so I'm sure you see lots of interactions between game developers and aspiring composers. I'm curious, what is the worst interaction you've seen between a game composer trying to shop his demo reel to a developer and what's the best on
1: the wow. forum? Wow, that's an awesome question. So um, I'll start off with the worst. So the worst I saw was basically... person i won't say the name um they're not on that site anymore i don't think and can i say the name of the of the forum okay so it's gamedev.net so gamedev.net i've been a member there since about 2005. they made me a moderator when i was uh when it was 2008 or so so i've been a moderator for a while now um i really enjoy it but one time there is a person that he had a great headline to his post he said internationally renowned composer available for work and then in the body of the post was stuff like i've scored 300 hollywood films and you know blah 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 and like i'm recognized on both the europe continent and us and so several of us had been around game dev for a while by this point and we're all like like who is this guy <laughs> we're curious. And so um, we go and we look, he has a website and whatever. So we click on that. And I can't remember if it was like one click or it was one of those real generic audio you know, cloud services. Um, you know, it wasn't a MySpace, but like it was something like super generic. Um, it was like the precursor to uh, SoundCloud. And I listened to some of this stuff and I was like, this doesn't sound horrible, but it doesn't sound great. And if you're internationally renowned, you've worked in Hollywood in 300 films, I would expect you to have your own website. So there are like three things right there that are like red flags. Um, And then, so we started asking him, hey, you know, like, what's the deal here? And did you really score whatever, whatever? And he started listing credits that he scored and he's like, yeah, you know, like Harry Potter five. And we all started pushing back saying, dude, like John Williams scored that. No, 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 I didn't mean score. I meant like, at home, I ripped the audio out, and I just made stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's one of those situations. So that's probably the worst, where he just grossly misrepresented himself. Uh, he kind of became a troll and took it a little bit personally when he got called out, which I can understand why you would react that way. But none of it was helping him. You know what I mean? Um, so that's probably the worst situation I've seen. As far as the best, I mean, I've... Hmm. I don't want to use my own situation. I do have a really good code calling email. Unfortunately, this company has now closed, but Venen Entertainment, uh, V-E-N-A-N, or yeah, N-A-N. Venen Entertainment was a company that made um, Ninja Town, the Nintendo DS product. Uh, it was a little like RTS type game, real cutesy. And what happened was I got that as a gag gift multiple Christmases ago from a friend. They even gave me the receipt saying, dude, you can just go get yourself a real game. And this is wild. while back. This is a good while back, 2008, so 2009. And I was, I mean, it's got cute graphics. It's got little hearts on it, that type of thing. They didn't think I would like it at all. I was like, well, I'll play it. I'll try it. So I tried the game and it's actually super fun, like super addictive and fun and challenging. And it was so much fun that like my friends tried it and they went and bought copies of of the game for themselves as well. And so um, fast forward a little bit, I I beat the whole game and I emailed the CEO of the company. uh, And I didn't know I was emailing him, probably got forwarded to him, but I emailed their contact saying, I played all the way through your game. I loved it. It was super cute and engaging and fun and addictive. And I would love to work with you on something similar if you have a need for a composer. Here's my website. Check me out. Let me know. Kind of like that type of deal. And I've written those kind of emails a lot. Now, in this case, this was unique because I actually had played all the way through the guy's game and was showing like genuine, like, I really loved this product. I love this experience that you created for me. You know, thanks for doing that. Um, And he wrote me back. I didn't expect him to, but he wrote me back and he said, I get a lot of emails like this, but something about your music and about your message made me want to just like dig in a little bit more. And so then he hired me to write music for the next Ninja Town, which actually, instead of being a Nintendo DS game, it was an iPhone game. It was a, it was a climber game. Yeah. And I was, I was thrilled I was just shocked by it. And, and he and I became friends over the years and everything and worked together on a couple of other things that didn't launch, didn't get published like tech demos, but it was great. It was such a fun thing to be able to do. And um, so I haven't had too many cold calls go that well, and I think what really distinguished me from others was I was really showing a sincere enjoyment of something that they were already doing, and then something about my demo reel it aligned with the vision of the next tile they wanted to do. I didn't know that; I was just you know sheer luck. But they're like, "Hey, this guy likes your stuff. We like his music. We think this could work," and fortunately, it did. Um, so that was an example of of, of really having something work well. Um, gosh, there are so many examples. Uh, I don't see a lot of client to um, composer interaction on Game Dev because the way it's designed is I moderate the music and sound, and we have that. We try and make it solely about feedback, about tutorials, about just sharing, growing as a group and uh, community of composers. So the actual like engagement and working, trying to find people. That's going to be in a different site of the, of the website, which I go to sometimes. I just don't go to it as much as I do the Music and Sound form. So, but you know, there's one guy that I really like. He's younger. He's on there right now. And he um, does a really good job of just helping other people out. Alec Wiesner. And I, I really like some of the things that he's doing and, and how he's trying to help other composers out. And then also just reach out to other people. Um,
0: I'm actually friends with Alec. I know know, him pretty
1: well. Yeah. So shout out to
0: Alec. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, no, he's been super helpful on game dev. I really like hearing his, his music. I like hearing how he's helping other people out. Um, it's that, that type of thing. Cause a little bit of context. Um, I don't think I said this, but I was on game dev for three years before they made me a moderator and I didn't even know they were considering me in fact, once I became a moderator, I saw, you know, they have like hidden sections, only staff can see of game dev. And they had this huge discussion about, we need a moderator for music and sound. And someone said, well, what about this guy, you know, Nate Madison it's like, oh, definitely. He's always helpful. And that is what it helped me get into that role. Um, and I could see Alec being the same way because he seems to just have a genuine enjoyment and, uh, desire to help people, um. And so that's always, always going to serve people well, in my opinion. So he, he's doing a, he's doing a really good job. It, it's, uh, it's hard because you want to create your website for those that are wanting to figure out how to land clients. First off, your demo reel should be easily accessible and it should be one, be one of the first things that they see when they go to your website. When they land, it should be bam right there because realistically potential client is not going to spend much time at all on your, on your website, you know, on any of our websites. They're not going to spend very much because they, they just don't have much time. And plus we all know attention, um, attention span on the website, on, on the internet is super short right now. So you want to just hit them and say, bam, this is who I am. And then let them start hearing your music. That type of deal. And so that was one of my critiques. Um, I also think some of the sizing was a little bit, weird. But other than that, I was like, dude, this is freaking fun. It's a great way. And it's really colorful and vibrant. And it's engaging. So I thought it was a great idea. It's just need a little bit of tweaks here and there. Um, so it's cool that you know, Alec though, small world.
0: Yeah. Alec's awesome. And uh, I'll put his website in the description yeah, of, this, cool. uh, of this podcast. So going back to uh, what you said about uh, your cold call email, I think that demonstrates a real initiative which I don't think a lot of composers are necessarily taught to have, but it's really cool when you just reach out and you take that next step of saying I played your whole game and I really love it and I want to be a part of it. I know you did an AMA a while back, which I really enjoyed in a Facebook group that we're in, and you had talked about some of the tips that you've experienced and that you've accumulated over the years for interviewing and getting jobs in-house. In addition to something like showing initiative, what are some other qualities that you think hiring managers look for when choosing a composer to hire?
1: Okay, yeah, another great question. So I think it's all about how well can you communicate your ideas you know, and, and how, you know, in my company, I work right now at Scientific Games Interactive and um, I've been there for almost three years and they talk a lot about it's 49% what you know, 51% who you are. They're super rigorous about their interview process and they really want to make sure that the people they're bringing into the fold are going to fit the culture of that company. Now that's not to say, it's, it's not saying that you have to be type a personality or type B. I'm not using the classical sense of, you know, a type a person. I'm just saying, you don't have to fit the mold. Like let's say there's a manager that you know, loves to go out and do sporting events. And if you're not into sports at all, it doesn't mean you're going to not fit in there. It's things where they just want to see, are you passionate? Do you have integrity? Are you engaging and excited about what you're doing? Are you a problem solver? Those are things they're really concerned about. So, um, cause at my company, we have a wide, wide range of people who are extroverted or introverted. We have people who love to do board games. We have people who love to do bar crawls, you know, and just go out and experience life that way. We have fitness nuts. We have couch potatoes. I mean, it's, it's a huge gamut of people. But what I've seen across all of these people at SGI is just they're super eager to help each other out. They're very invested in the product, and they're very curious about the solutions, and that's that's from like the top down and and all all kinds of ways. So I would say if you can show those type of qualities, um, you know, interviewing is not nailing every answer. Uh, my father-in-law is a director at Oracle, and he will purposely sometimes ask a question he does not expect a candidate to know the answer to, to see if they're going to try and flub it and lie, and or if they're going to be like. Hey, I don't, I don't know about that yet, but I'm excited to learn about it. Um, I had that happen one time. I, I really felt like, crap, I may have, uh, I may have messed up here. I may, may not have a good answer or whatever. Um, I was interviewing for a company, uh, NetDevil, Louisville, Colorado, and they make MMOs. So the guy, he was one of the co-founders, asked me, well, what MMO games do you play? And I could feel my brow like get sweaty because I was like, "Oh crap, I don't, I don't play MMOs." And so, um, just kind of off the cuff, I said, "Well, I, I actually just play consoles because, and I had read this article. I mean, this was sincere. I'd read an article talking about back in the day, at least, keep your machine as clean as possible. Your, your audio machine. Don't, don't put anything extraneous on it that's going to bog it down. Just you know, have it be uh, as free for resources as you can, and, and all that type of stuff." it was, again, this, this may be way outdated IT information, but, um, back in the day it seemed to be applicable. And so I didn't game on my computer at all. I just gamed on my PlayStation or, or you know, other type of things. Um, yeah. And so, and I remember like, I, I gave the answer and kind of like was like stressing and I was on the phone with a guy, he couldn't see my face, but he was like, all right, that's a good answer. Fair enough. You know? And, and we moved along. And so it could have been a situation where I freaked out, like saying, Oh crap, I don't, I'm not showing experience in the main thing you guys are producing. Is that a a notch against me? But when I had a good rational answer to it saying, well, this is why I'm not doing this. um, Then he was able to accept that. And then we moved on to the next thing. So I would just try and stress to the person that's interviewing you what your strengths are. And anything that you don't know, be very forthright about it, but then also show I'm very excited about the opportunity to learn more about that, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, It can make or break interviews when you do that. So I really stress that. So I know you mentioned you have two kids. I
0: have a I have a kid as well. He's two years old. So I completely under I can relate to this next question. But obviously, the stability of a day job is super important. And you've done both. You've done the freelance thing. You've done the day job thing as a family man, as someone who wants to uh, put family first and make sure that that is your home life is balanced. What have you found to be your favorite thing about the freelance life and your favorite thing about the stable nine to five in house life? Cool. Uh,
1: Yeah. um, uh, Real quick, I'll note, I'm actually doing both now. I I have been doing both for a while, but you're correct, though. For five years, I did full-time freelancing. What I loved about full-time freelancing was, first off, the range and the variety of projects and clients I worked with. I did all kinds of different projects. Um, That was really fun, and it really stretched me and allowed me to fine-tune how I load on a project, how I offload when I'm done, you know, everything from my marketing uh, to invoicing, I mean, all the things that you don't have to think about when you're doing an in-house position, you're doing that as a, as a freelancer. And so I found that engaging and fun. I liked the puzzle of trying to look for work. I also loved the freedom of, even once we had my oldest son's name, Connor, even when we had Connor, um, three days a week, he would go to daycare for a portion of the day And so I would go work out real quick, go back home. I'd work until about four and then go pick up my son. So I had a little window of time where I could just work. And then I had time when I would be stay at home dad. Um, I loved that about, about freelancing. What I love about in-house job is, and I haven't been able to do this recently very much, but there are times when I don't have a lot of freelancing work. And what I like about that is, When I come home, I can just be with my family. And when the kids go down, I can either hang out with my wife, we can watch a movie, I can play video games, like I can turn off that other part of my brain, just be like chill time. Um, And that's, that's really nice. And there's a lot of freedom to not having to figure out where your next job's coming from, um, that type of deal. So there's pros and cons to both. Another thing I really love about freelancing is the ability to build your own setup, build your own, what you want to do, what type of tools you want to use, how your room's going to be, all that stuff. It's up to you, you know, and that also can be a negative because it's also can be expensive. (laughs) Um, That, (coughs) excuse me, that type of thing. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a lot of challenges to it. You know, I, I know that when I first started BK games with um, I worked under Greg Allen, great guy. We're really good friends. Um, he was the audio director there. And I know that it took me a little bit of time because I came out of a period of five years of being my own boss to suddenly having a boss and trying to learn, okay, how does Greg communicate? What does he want from me? Where, where do I fit in? What's my role here? How do I engage and, and work with all the different departments And, you know, he and I, we even had like, I think we were out having lunch one time. This is multiple months into the job. And he's like, yeah, you're kind of like navigating, figuring out the flow when you first got here. And he even said, I I just remembered, yeah, he's been freelancing for five years, you know, full time. So he's getting used to having a boss again and going into the office. And I was like, you're exactly right. So there's... Tremendous benefits to both types, especially if you can get a situation where you have freelancing on top of your uh, in-house work. That can be really beneficial there because although it can mean longer hours, one thing I love about it is the fact that, you know, SGI, I love what I do there. Um, The only thing that can kind of be taxing is it's a lot of the same thing. I mean, we do some variety, but we we make slot games, you know? And so once you learn the formula behind slot games, it's basically kind of the same thing over and over again with just different aesthetics, different graphics, different sound. Um, so I'm not trying to disparage it, but what I really love is since working at SGI I've done, I worked a little bit on the, um, Titanfall mobile games that came out a little bit. So this card base, um, kind of like RTS style gaming. I worked on, uh, see, a first person puncher game called Spartan Fist with my good friend Megan Fox of Glass Bottom Games. So there's a lot of different varieties. I've done a couple films. And so what I really enjoy is being able to come home, spend some time with the kiddos. And then once the kiddos are down, I could do something totally different from my day job that hopefully makes me better overall at everything I do because it's always... Keeping me nimble and agile and flexible. So yeah, I, I would advocate if you can, if your company allows it and you're working in house, see if you can do some freelance work because it's, it's really, really useful. And it's also good for extra cash, of course.
0: So as a composer of many different genres, I know it can be challenging to describe your style, but I know you play saxophone very well and you've played it on your vlog a few times. I'm curious, has playing and learning the saxophone changed how you write music?
1: For sure. Yeah. And the fact that's one thing I advocate to people who perhaps don't, they haven't had an instrument is you really should get out there and learn an instrument. And then if you already know even like a couple of instruments, go out and try and learn a third or a fourth. What I found is each instrument I've learned has informed how I write, how I produce, or at the very least, it's informed me how I arrange for that part. If I'm playing, um, if I'm writing something and I, I know it's a flute part, and I'm doing this long passage, I know that the flute, the flautist is going to have to breathe at a certain point, and and I know that, for example, if I'm shaping a line, if I'm figuring out i'm going into the cc data i um, the uh modulation and the expression and whatever and the breath whatever else that that vst will support and i'm shaping the the phrase i know okay i'm going up to this note right here and as a player or as a singer i would push into that note and crescendo a little bit and shape it a little bit differently and maybe even delay the uh the start of that high note just to build a little more tension a little more musicality all that comes from being a player and having having that experience on top of that not only is it important to play an instrument I think it's hugely important to play with an ensemble if you can it can be a jazz combo uh, you know I played with a worship band for a while in a church I was in actually several different churches and I know one one uh, group I was playing with the drummer was really really good and I noticed that, and it could just be a style thing, but I was like, man, the hi-hat that he's doing and this little type of groove that he's got going on in this song, is was like, I'm a little bit ahead of where he's, maybe maybe it was like the and of four or something, some kind of cool little groove. And I'm like, if I just pull back just a little bit more at that spot, I'll be aligned with this hi-hat and the groove will be tighter. And that's just something I noticed while we are rehearsing. We didn't even talk about it. And so I started doing that. And next thing you know, things are locking in even more. And those are things that you learn just from doing it, you know, being with people and, and, and rehearsing with them and working with them. So yeah, I think learning instruments is just huge hugely benefit, beneficial. And if you're not, if you haven't done that, you're really missing out on a layer that can just bring so much more to your music.
0: So, you started a vlog on YouTube, which I will link to in the show notes, which I've, I've found very helpful. And it, I think it's great how you uh, really want to invest in uh, younger composers and people who are newer, sharing your advice, sharing the things that you've learned. I'm curious, what is something that you have learned through your vlogging process? This can be about music, about yourself, about the internet, anything.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. I've, I've learned a lot. First off, I learned it's a lot harder to be consistent. doing a vlog. And I thought, yes, it um, is. I was going to, I had grand schemes of like, you know, I think it was like every week I was going to do a vlog and I did that for a while. And then things started to slow down. Um, one thing I've learned is just now having done it a little bit, you know, like, like the first 11 episodes or so, or maybe the first 10, I didn't have a gimbal. And for those that don't know, a gimbal is basically something that's going to stabilize your phone. So if you're walking around, and you're holding your phone out so you can get yourself in the shot, and it's not like super close up on your face, then you're going to have the impacts of your footfalls, and it's going to create a shaky video. And so I learned about that, and I've learned, you know, you can watch some videos, and you can just see just how much production time goes into the really polished ones that have a lot of different graphic changes and transitions. Um, another thing I really learned was just the fact that, So I have to kind of get myself out of my own way when I do my vlog because just, and I'm just doing this with my iPhone. It's like the bare minimum equipment possible. My iPhone and a gimbal is what I use if I'm moving around. Um, And then I use iMovie. So I'm not investing any money really into this at all, except for the gimbal. So I have, you know, the the iPhone showing me how I look. And that was extremely distracting to me at first. And, um, I would mess things up I'm trying to say, and I would lose my spate, my, my spot. And just, so what I found is the more I was doing it, the more comfortable I was getting with it. And that's just like with anything we do. If you're not comfortable with some type of element of your playing or your production, or you're not comfortable putting your stuff out there, you just have to remind yourself, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And I'm a huge You know, thanks for pointing out my vlog. I'm a huge fan of a couple of different vlogs, Um, Adam Neely and Bob Reynolds. Adam Neely is a New York bassist, phenomenal educator, and uh, he just does great musical analysis and does some really awesome, basically video papers, vlogs on all kinds of really interesting academic subjects on music. And Bob Reynolds plays with John Mayer. He's played with Snarky Puppy. Uh, He's a phenomenal saxophonist. And so I watched those guys and those guys inspired me and Bob Reynolds really stresses. In fact, one of his albums is called, um, perfection is, uh, Oh crap. What is it called? Can't wait for perfection or something like that. Um, uh, perfection. Oh, it's perfection is the enemy of good. And, um, and so that's the thing. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, perfect is the enemy of good. So, uh, his, his, let me see, Bob Reynolds, I'm going to look this up here. Um, sorry, I do this on air, so this will be... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Can't Wait for Perfect is what is what it's called. And so that's what really inspired me. You know, Bob Reynolds just stressing saying, just put your stuff out there. You know, the first several or 10 or 20 are going to be kind of crappy. And then you're going to get better and better at it. Just like with our music, you know, just like with what we do. And so I, I just started making my vlog because I had this idea, it had to be perfect. And I had these expectations of how it look and how it flow. And have I met that? Absolutely not. But people have said, Hey, I enjoy it. And I'm getting something out of it. And so that's been beneficial to me and been affirming. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I've really been trying to, to get stuff out there for people to be able to learn something from what I've done and hopefully get inspired to to make their own journey. I purposely left it kind of rough too. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of time to spend on the vlogs. And so I, I I could go through and edit and, you know, like I've learned a little bit about what Adam Neely does and his, and he actually writes out scripts and like really plans because he has Patreon and he has all this other stuff. So this is partly one of his, one of his streams of income, one of his jobs you know, I don't get paid anything for doing these things. And so I personally left it kind of rough. And the other thing I did, and I think this kind of helps is I left in some of the um, bloopers, basically me messing up stuff, or um, sometimes I'll have to like, kind of like shake my face and make a weird noise to get out of my own head, you know, and, and get back on task here. I'll leave some of that crap in there as little bloopers, and it makes people laugh. And I think it humanizes me. You know, because if it's super polished, it's super high production the whole time. It it starts to feel like, well, this person's perfect, and I can't meet that. And I I am so not perfect. I want to really stress to people, I am I'm approachable and I'm I'm normal, just like everyone else is. Type of deal.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, Like when you watch an Adam Neely, like you almost get the feeling that he's like this musical god on another level because he doesn't stutter, he doesn't mess up. He does, but he also spends. probably 40 hours a week putting his videos together so yeah I definitely think there's something to be said for approachability and humanization and things like that
1: yeah for sure
0: all right so Nathan we've reached the lightning round the lightning round is a segment of the interview where I ask you five questions and you just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind okay hopefully that sound good (laughs) yeah
1: sure
0: okay here we go if you could collaborate with one artist living or dead doesn't have to be video games who would it be
1: uh, John Williams. Great choice.
0: What are your top three, or just top three right now, favorite game soundtracks of all time?
1: Chrono Cross, Silent Hill 2, and uh, Journey
0: by Austin Wintery. Yes, fantastic. Silent Hill 2 is so underrated.
1: Yes. Gorg- gorgeous
0: score. Yeah. Um, favorite non-video game musical artist? Whew, um.
1: No, trying to think here. Well, I'm just gonna say, uh, Bob Reynolds. I'm just really into him right now.
0: Yeah, he's great. I've listened to it, I've watched his vlog as well. Okay, favorite piece of gear it could be a, a physical piece of gear or a plugin that you love. Oh, um, it could be one of each one, one your favorite piece of physical gear and your favorite piece of okay digital yeah, gear. Yeah,
1: sure. Um, Twinfinity 710, my preamp. Um, I really, really universal audio. I love that preamp. I'm not using it for this. I'm just using the, uh, my strip webcam mic for, uh, for this recording, but yeah, I love that twin I use it all the time. As far as my, um, go-to software that I freaking love, I would have to say isotopes RX advance. I love that thing. Now I'm, I'm a further back. I'm like, I think six, I think they're on seven now, but I love that software.
0: Awesome. So, last question, what would your career be if you weren't doing games? We know that you probably wouldn't choose teacher again. So, what <laughs> do you think what do you think your career would be if you weren't doing uh games? M- music for games.
1: Yeah. Um boy, that's a hard one. So, believe it or not, I used to want to be a lawyer a long time ago. Um I really like law. I love just the whole system and and how it works and learning about it and um Yeah. I was in middle school. I was doing one of my social study classes and we were talking about case law and and how it sets precedent and everything. I was just very fascinated by it. And so I, uh, I used to want to be a lawyer, but now I'm, my my uncle's a lawyer and he's a great guy, but I've, I've heard lots of bad stories about lawyers too. I feel like they get a bad rap. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It depends on what what type of law I would study or practice as well. Um, I think that'd make a huge difference, but yeah, I used to want to be a lawyer. (laughs)
0: You could do like copyright law for musicians.
1: There you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> cool, man. Well, for my last question, I just want to give you an opportunity to tell all the listeners where they can listen to your music, uh, where they can find out more about you and any projects that you've got going on or anything you're excited about.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for, so much for, first off, for having me and, and for doing this interview. Of course. Um, so my website, it's very simple. It's madsenstudios.com. It's M A D S E N studios.com, and that'll take you to my page, um, and from there you can hear my music, you can see the stuff I've been doing. Um, if you want to look at my resume, you can. I've got a couple of different video reels, and then scroll all the way down. I have a a blog that I keep sort of up to date. Um, I, I'm a little bit behind in that, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And from there, uh, of course, it has the links to my. My LinkedIn, my Twitter, and my Facebook. I'm very, very active on Facebook. Probably that's my spot I'm most active on. So go there and just look up Nathan Madsen. You can look at Madsen Studios LLC as well and, and friend me there. But um, yeah, that's that's where I post the stuff I'm doing and updates and, and show show upcoming projects, all that type of stuff.
0: Well, fantastic. Well. Nathan, thanks so much for being on the show, man. You've added a lot of value and um, go listen to Nathan's music and I'll link your vlog in the show notes and all that stuff. So thanks for coming on the show, man.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having me.